This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience Podcast. It's almost Thanksgiving, my friends, and my conversation today is with the original digital nomads, Nabil Mahmoud and Phil Koblenz, the founders of the Nomad Futures Foundation and podcast. In this quick conversation, we discuss how the coding within the U.S. emergency alert system may have tremendous flaws, not unlike many other IoT or similar systems. We discuss the emerging AI within fintech, and the very good work their foundation is attempting to accomplish. Please, as we consider things that we're thankful for, sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation on the next QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data, how we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. Three, two, one. Nabil and Phil, thank you for joining me today. Um, great to have you back. Oh, glad to be back again, David. Thanks for having us, Dave. Yeah, what our audience doesn't know, what you're being polite, is that we actually had you back a few weeks ago, and I screwed up the file, and so we're redoing this again for a quick turnaround. But let's not tell anybody. That way, I, I as a technologist, I don't look like too big of an idiot. Well, well you're you know, it's kind of yeah, it's kind of interesting you bring that up, um, and maybe you might want to share it because. You know, 99% of the time is the availability and uptime that we talk about and the life of the IT guy, nobody knows about it. But that yeah. 1%, that one mistake, it spreads like wildfire. So there you go. And and in our world, you're only remembered by downtime and outages. So you will forever now be remembered as the guy that corrupted our our recording. Your audio file. The um, <clears throat> And my producer uh, is so exasperated with me because he normally handles all that stuff. And I was like, hey, I got it. Bro, I've been in this business for 30 years. I was IT desktop, you know, what I run through my my credentials. And um he uh then I had to go back to him. He's like, hey, where's the where's the rest of the files? They're all there. Nope. No, they were not. They were uh unless, they were, unless, I feel like unless you're a, like a bricklayer or or someone like that, I think any anytime you start with I've been doing this for 30 years, yeah. it's probably not it's probably not the good thing you think it might be. <laughs> Says says the engineer at the Tower of Pisa. I've been laying. Right. I've been building foundations right. for. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. Hey, <laughs> speaking of things that could go wrong, <clears throat> Nabil, you posted recently an article that really caught my imagination because not this specific thing, but related to this, we talk regularly on my show and in other programs about the great benefits of. Uh, IoT devices, but also the risks that come with them. And not just IoT, but when we connect things to the interwebs, when we have systems out there, <clears throat> you need to make sure that they're secure so that um, for, for a wide variety of obvious reasons. You just posted this article recently that uh, a researcher, I believe, or an analyst for Department of Homeland or somebody related to Department of Homeland or providing them feedback said, your, some of your systems, uh, your alert systems are vulnerable and we're, and so why don't we, why don't you take it from there? What was, do you remember the gist of the article? Yeah. So I, I get, uh, the, the point there is that there's so much data right. and uh, 
we we've got all these alerts set up, but we don't have any data policies per se, or as as to what the security standards and thresholds need to be. And an example that I'll give you is that in the banking industry, we just uh, said that uh, the MFA, which multi-factor authentication, is the state of the art. We're going to just finally adopt it. But guess what? That has existed and been in play for almost a decade. Uh, and we just we just deployed that and accepted that in in our industry in the financial market segment. So the same applies with everything else that's going around. That there is a lot of data, there's a lot of data points that are moving, but foundation nobody's actually talking about security. We set up all these alerts and thresholds. Uh, that's oversaturation of information, and we can't really get to the root cause of what happened, where it happened, and how it happened. So right. that's that's. The I know we were going to try. I know we were going to try to stay away from geopolitics, but. You know, the thing that's amazing about this one point, think about how I'm going to get to get, get to this point, is think of how simple it is to be disruptive, like, you know, fake news and saying something's going on or, or you know, impersonating someone online. You have all this stuff at Twitter going on with people impersonating, you know, Elon Musk and, and, and all that craziness. It doesn't, you don't actually, it, it seems like you don't actually have to, like, do the thing. You don't have to set the place on fire or break into the bank. All you have to do is set off the alarm systems that suggest that something is going on in order to be you know, significantly disruptive um, to society, right? So if you have all of these alerts and you're not necessarily securing the thing um, and, and providing uh, compensatory data that, that you know, call, calls into question whether an alert is true or not, it's true in our world and it's true you know, in all these different areas, it is really easy to be disruptive. You, you yeah. know, it's it, it, and to tease that out a little bit, Nabil, I'd love for you to comment on it as well. In the past, so Phil, to your point of your example, you'd have to go into the bank and pull the alarm, right? And you, you'd think there's some physical security there and there's probably something over the alarm deal. Now, now you don't even have to do that. You just have, just hop on next door or hop on TikTok or whatever the local community app is and say, there's an alarm at the, you know, there's alarm at the bank or whatever. And it's this, this thing. And then all of a sudden people start showing up at the bank and the bank's like, what's going on? There's no, there's no alarm here. In other words, or they, or they remotely hack into the system in some way. And by hack, I'm being generous. It's like everybody who just brought home their Netgear router from 25 years ago and didn't change it from, I better make sure I've changed it from admin and password, <laughs> but, but you know, their username and password that was printed, you remember early days, the MAC address and the username and password right. printed on the box, not just inside in the material, but it was on the box in that first six months or a year. I don't know if it's next year. I don't want to disperse them, but what, you know, these early day routers. And it's so simple. It's terrifying in the world of healthcare, but in some of these other things. And there is no big weather event. There is no big thing going on, but we're going to somehow get in there and spoof you know, it's the best version of um, deep fake because it's actually coming from the system. It's not a. It's not like it's a fake alert in the sense that uh, I got some system to look like it's that system. It's actually that system that some junior high kid was able to just kind of noodle around in and right. send this thing out. And the people that are there are like, well, it's, there's no big deal. There's nothing going on here in the bank. And yet the bank's telling the world, unbeknownst to them, that the tornado's coming. And so people are in evac mode or whatever. Yeah, so we're, it's kind of like you know, you guys remember that story about calling the wolf? Yeah, no, uh, it's yeah. it's 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 that same mindset. I mean, there's so much data that can be distributed that it's basically fake call or it's fake panic. Uh, kind of like in boxing, you throw you know you throw your left punch, 
and right. uh, you know you're really hitting with your right punch. So it's uh, you know what uh, the hackers really do. They're they're much smarter. They're they're able to um, get these data points and create news or events or incidents that come across as real. However, they aren't, and mm -hmm. that's a full distraction. And that's really what their strategy is. That's yeah. the weakest link yeah. in the chain. Over there's just, over. There's, there's there's tons of noise, but no filters. You know, it's just there's it, noise, noise everywhere. So, what's the solution? Because almost all industry seems to have the are working through these vulnerabilities. So, so is it we just stop plugging stuff in? Is it that we <laughs> we go back analog for a while? What's the uh, what's the solution in that? Do you think? Well, you know, I talk about it a lot. That foundationally is where we need to get back to 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 the roots. Uh, what what are we looking at? I mean, the the availability of data and all the data points are imperative. They're good, but uh, is too much data bad data? Um, and we've got to define those policies, processes, and procedures at a very early stage as to, you know, what are the potential vulnerabilities and exposure to a system and application or the stack itself? What 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 is it that's critical enough to create that awareness or that call to action? whereby the right resources are utilized. And then you automate some of it, whereby you've got uh, some sort of an AI running on the back end to understand the criticality of that application or that infrastructure. And then there's you know zaps and processes in place that escalate it um, if uh, you know they, 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 they do for, forecast some sort of a um security breach mm -hmm. i think i think the automation probably has to be on the side of like verification of alerting and i don't i think we do a lot of alerting we don't do a lot of verification um so there you know there are all sorts of levers that you can pull where you're kind of almost automate some first tier level of troubleshooting before you know you recognize an alert as an actual you know issue uh but it, these are easily these are more easily said than done right i mean yeah. i think as as part of like a deployment mechanism people put alerting in place because you want to know what's going on, but you're only as good as whoever's receiving that alert. Um, and, you know, if you don't have some way to, to tease that out um, and, and determine whether some, there is actually an outage, there is actually, you know, some verifiable um, issue. Uh, it just, it just becomes, it becomes noise, but it's, it's tough because I'm sure there are obviously scenarios where you want to, you know, have as much data as possible. Um, but but the noise is an issue. Can we talk philosophical for just a second? It reminds me of recently at the time uh, or near the time of this recording, uh, we had a bunch of news outlets report that Russia had launched missiles into Poland. And at least at the time of this recording, there's more and more information that says, well, wait a minute, hold on. It was not attack an attack on Poland, it doesn't appear. It looks like in the whether it was there, there were there was combat activity going on over this country, which is a whole nother conversation that, you know, I don't think any of us would say that there should be like, you know, sovereign nations or whatever. But that aside, that the response of the initial um, people saying, look, things fell from the sky in this community. It must this must be the perpetrator before it had been validated and there was a whole bunch of talk and rush to what are we going to do and how are we going to do it and and um as we work through that which we've seen this before i remember years ago there was a uh, an actor who said i was attacked by these 
um, you know, these political activists and it was race motivated and it was these other things and come to find out, no, none of that was true. It was all right. I think he but, paid the people. I think he paid the people. They paid whatever it was, <laughs> but it was, the point is it, in that, in that latter, um, point that I made or the, uh, incident, uh, it was, you know, a whole bunch of people jumped on because who is, you know, we want to get in there and say, we condone this. We condone the the political figure that um, created the environment for this to happen. We we are not condone. We are against. We are against the the people that would act this out. There's no place for this. And we, you know, that first twelve or eighteen hours, the whole world blew up. But then, as the cops did their investigation slowly, methodically, thoroughly, they're like, this this isn't. Like this isn't ringing true. Why would you be walking at that time of the night down that street with twenty dollar bills hanging out of your pocket at that kind of weather in it? Like, just kind of doing the basic detective work and whatever the things were. And as they began closing in and in and in, they found out. "Mm." So my comment is not that people don't misbehave on occasion; they do. Um, But it was the the quick righteous rush to get on board with this thing, right? In that case, it was embarrassing for some public feet figures that they got on the wrong side of that um, conversation and it wasn't accurate. But the case of having, you know, uh, nuclear weapons or whatever, certainly whether it's nuclear, I don't want to get too melodramatic, but, you know, significant stuff and people taking action on behalf of nation states. I think this goes, this ties back to these systems. If we publish data, there's an emotional response when we see an alert, when we see in a, we see something happening that we we jump to it, and I don't know what the right balance is, but we jump to respond before we really know all of the information. And as we've discussed up to this point, it's so easy either to have it wrong, just accidentally, genuinely wrong, or a system's been compromised and is disseminating uh, incorrect, at a minimum, if not absolutely fake information um, at a maximum, I just feel like we've been emotionally conditioned over the last 10 years to quick jump into and be one of the first yeah. ones to like or publish or whatever. Right. I think, I think we have a reactionary, um, we have an, a reactionary, uh, culture, um, which is, um, you know, in some cases exacerbated by, you know, the breaking news and the melodramatic nature of, 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 of how we have to be so quick to respond because we have so many news outlets that, that um, you know, act as megaphones for people's response, so you can just get in people's faces more quickly. But if you go back to that the Russian missile in Poland situation, like the second I heard from like one of the military guys that were on TV that you know if Russia were going to attack Poland, they wouldn't like choose a field a couple miles from the Ukrainian border um, just to just to you know, rile up NATO to, you know, do right. Article 5 or whatever. And it made perfect sense. Like, there's just no right. way that if you're a rational actor uh, or even an irrational actor, that it just, right. if you understand the context of it all, it doesn't make any sense. So I think part of it is, like, incumbent upon us as consumers of alerts and consumers of news and consumers of outrage to try to apply some level of critical thinking to to, to these situations as opposed to immediately you know, be impacted by, you know, what we're seeing, whether it's on the TV or an alerting system or whatever, just, just calm down and assess no matter what it is in every aspect, aspect of your life. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's really human nature. Uh, And I I would say, you know, based on David, what you know, Phil and I, 
Yeah. You will be 100% wrong if you tell me I'm the calm one. Bill is the calmer one. <laughs> Uh, well, I, don't, I mean, I think I think what I what I what I uh, don't have in being able to become on the forefront, I I have on the inside as like right. you know, well, what are you gonna do? <laughs> you know? Well, there's Whereas, certain you know, know, cool as a cucumber. I I don't know that I would be. I don't know if calm's the right word, but certainly, um, I'm not a cynic, but I'm skeptical when something would that I believe is outrageous or unlikely, and there was. In other words, a moment ago, there was no notice of something, and now all of a sudden I'm being told something. I'm, I'm kind of like, mm, is it? How do, we, how, do we, how do we verify that? Who, what are the enemies of those people saying? Not just these people. Like, is, right. is MSNBC and Fox News both saying the same thing? Right. And why are they saying it? And, you know, who, what's, the, what's the credibility? Now, I, I get it wrong, we, and people get it wrong. You know, we thought there were weapons of mass destruction at one point a long time ago, and a whole bunch of people all around the world um, thought that. And there was a lot of conversation leading up to those things. And, you know, we later learned that that wasn't very accurate for whatever reason, um, without diving too far into that. But I, I mean, we can get to the wrong conclusion slowly too, but it just seems like as we're the technology and we're all technology optimists. Like I am in the technology world. I love the benefits. We're going to talk about one of them here in just a second. But if we're not cautious as we go through this, not just picking on governments or healthcare or whatever to, you know, spend more money they don't have to get the people that they don't employ to do more things. I think that we can help the situation by not being so reactionary. You know, Nabil, you re you reminded me of this when you're talking about noise in the system. I love the original idea of Amber Alerts, but they happen so regularly, many times of which that it is not accurate, that I do what most people do. It's kind of like your alarm system in your home. I turn it off and I just it's don't pay attention to it. It's exactly and the point. Exactly right. And so now it's the exact opposite effect of I'm not paying attention to an Amber Alert at all which is probably not the right answer to it. But it's um, if we don't help to, uh, um, I don't know if it's just a generational thing. It seems to me people in my age group tend to be, well, hold on, is that really true first before we dive into it? But um, I don't know. And it's a far cry. You know, you're, you, can, you, can, you can fall into the rabbit hole of just being contrarian and, and conspiratorial for the sake of it. Right? So it's... Right. Uh, it, it cuts both well, ways. we love Sorry. you anyway, Phil. It doesn't matter. <laughs> That's not me. That's not me. <laughs> what were you going to say, Nabil? Well, I think it's about creating a balance. And a, a part of it is like life lessons, um, personal experiences, and just learning from other people. I think the most calmest people that I've come across are the ones that are uh, able to take their time and do their due diligence and spend time in making sure that the news or the alerts or whatever the case might be are what they they think they should be or they are uh, right. versus just jumping to a conclusion so um you know phil and i talk about it quite often um uh, part of our job being technologists and being industry leaders is uh to stay calm kind of like a duck whereby our feet are paddling aggressively right. in the water but on surface level we we are we are, we are cool we are calm we are collected and we, we should be collecting those data points to to make sure that we take corrective actions based on information that we deem is correct versus just jumping and trying to figure it out and, you know, being 
aggressive about it in some way, form, or shape. Wouldn't that be if just kind of a little side note here, wouldn't it be awesome if as an animal you could be a duck? It, I think for me it would be almost perfect, and here's why. The whole world assumes you are working your butt off underwater, but I'd just be floating along with the other ducks, not doing anything. i just let them bump me in the right direction or whatever, <laughs> totally chilling out while the whole rest of the group's working. Like, that's my, kind of my stuff. I'm like, oh, you can't see it, but I'm really working. I'm doing a lot here. Nope, just bobbing along, having a good I'm time. I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm wondering if the people at the hierarchy of QTS are listening to this recording, because we know yeah. exactly what you're getting out of Mr. McCall. <laughs> no, they wouldn't count here, but if my wife's listening, I'm in big trouble. So, <laughs> right. uh, so just keep me a baby. I totally did that. I balanced all that. Yeah. It's all taken care of. Yeah. Um, it, just happened under, it just happened underwater. Just, it just happened underwater. Hit play. Let's keep watching. Um, so let's shift to something I think is really interesting. And we have a lot of conversations on my show about AI, sometimes the wonderful things that it can do, sometimes the um, the risks uh, or situations it has the potential to put us in. Nabil, you talked um, recently about um, generative artificial intelligence in fintech. So before you dive into there, I love the area. I'm getting more and more familiar and talking to more and more people that work in uh, financial technology, so uh, banking, insurance. In fact, there's so much going on. They now call it insure tech instead of fintech. They're kind of breaking it out. Um, and and there's a lot of disruption. You know, we're watching uh, um, uh, cryptocurrency, the potential of it, and the risks of it. And it's been very volatile uh, for a while. It's very volatile now and going down. And there's people in the news around that. But you talk about this. Um, AI uh, idea in how it can enhance an industry that's been around forever, um, probably since the uh, uh, pyramids to one degree or the other. And, um, and so industry like that doesn't like to change a lot. Like ever since insurance created actuary tables, they don't like to change a lot and technology is viewed skeptically. And yet here's an opportunity for this technology to genuinely um, change. And I think in a lot of ways for the good, uh, people who want to be in this business. And it's also, interestingly enough, opening the door for non-traditional entrepreneurs to come into the space. What is generative artificial intelligence? And um, how is it that you see it could benefit the fintech industry? Well, for starters, I think the artificial intelligence, the way I go about that is that we need to start the element of artificial intelligence. There can't be anything artificial about intelligence. I'd rather right. call it actionable intelligence. Okay, fair enough. Computers are doing what we ask them to do. So it's it's still human controlled. The 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 IQ and the EQ still manages all of that. Right. Um as as it entails to the future of banking, uh, I mean, you know, we we've uh moved from the fiat currencies uh, over the last few decades. Uh, and, and we have been using crypto in a lot of ways. I will give an example of credit cards. Hmm. Um, nobody really carries cash much. Uh, or when people started to actually start using credit cards, that was a definition of moving into the likes of cryptocurrency and fintech. So it's already happened. It's not like it just happened yesterday. Mm -hmm. It's been it's been a part of our life and will continue to be a part of life on a go forward basis. The industry is old enough. Um, you know, you still have the old guard wanting to do the business they have done over the last four decades the same way. Uh, but as 
the younger generation starts coming into the space, they want access to money, access to capital much quicker. They need to understand what the valuation of the organization is, what the valuation of the currency is, and that information is readily available. They want to be able to compute and um, also broker deals or work on deals and opportunities on a global basis versus just being tied up to a region community or 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 the country in itself. So there's going to be a lot of enhancements in the industry over the next few years as the guards are changing. The biggest challenge that there is in the financial industry is the lobbyist, the regulators, and the compliance agencies. Um, and that's the one that I've been actually managing and mining the money and the, and the flow of the money there on in. But that will start changing as the demand uh, increases. And we have seen that over the last two years with, with COVID uh, mm-hmm. as, uh, uh, you know, online account opening has become much easier. Um, online transactions, access to your banking information at your fingertips is much easier and convenient. Uh, that was really derivative by the younger generation and the circumstances with COVID that we were put in. So mm-hmm. I do see a change coming. Um, which is going to change the industry on a go-forward basis, um, you know, pertaining to access to capital, the valuation of the currency, so on and so forth. So there's going to be more products and services that are going to be available as we move along. Hmm. Along with that, a lot of risks are going to come in as well. And the reason for that is the blind leading the blind and the regulatory uh, and the compliance bodies uh, with the FDIC and so on and so forth. Uh, those guys are not necessarily technologists and they don't want to make that transition. So they're going to try to enforce policies that are not practical and those fake alerts that we've been talking about, the the fake news or too much of the data that they need everything, whereas they don't. Uh, And that's where potentially the risk is going to be, Um, even down to the identity uh, concerns uh, of individuals. So uh, there will be challenges. And I think it's about changing the mind shift of of people that are part of it and helping up with... uh, ensuring credibility and security is a significant part of this industry on a go-forward basis. I feel like I haven't spoken enough, so I'm going to say some Please words do. here. The, um, the, you know, the, the, the two things that come to mind for me is that there's obviously um, uh, uh, an exponential amount of technology that's been implemented on, um, uh, on, on the financial side, which you know, benefits all of our businesses, obviously, because all of that stuff has to be you know, hosted somewhere. And practically speaking, um, it's made our um, interaction with 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 banks significantly more efficient. I mean, if, if, like not that long ago. I mean, five, six, seven years ago, the notion of like being able to deposit a check just by taking a picture of it on a phone was you know some sort of a pipe dream. Sometimes we had a scanner on the desk that you know had right. some sort of. I mean, that wasn't really that long ago. And right. now <clears throat> it's a foregone conclusion. Nobody really even knows where their bank is, you know. If you unless unless you run to, there is a local bank, right? right. You're you know you don't know the bank tellers anymore because you never go into the banks. So that's a significant shift for um, uh, uh, an industry that that really resisted that kind of you know shift from brick and mortar to a more virtualized uh, experience. So I think that those elements of it are going to continue to play out. When you look at crypto and kind of the the decentralization of banking. Um, we had someone on on, on the podcast, um, you know, uh, a few guests ago. I don't know. The months are blurring into each other at this point. <laughs> and and he crystallized it uh, on the security side by saying, you know, the 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 concept of cryptocurrency and the decentralized bank is that you're essentially your own bank, 
And if you think about what percentage of the budgets banks have for their IT infrastructure and security, and you compare that to the steps that you take to secure your own devices, your own environment, your own, you know, little IT world, right. you know, that that's a terrifying prospect yeah. um, to most people that, you know, have relied upon the centralized nature of, of banking and insurance, the regulatory, regulatory, albeit admittedly, you know, um, old school regulatory mechanisms to protect, you know, their investments so they don't have to really worry about it, right? Unless they drop cash out of their pockets or, you know, somehow, you know, don't uh, don't take the a correct picture of a, of a checker. And there's some imagined, I don't know how true it is, but there's some imagined um, amount of privacy by not um, using crypto. Although if that does still exist, I think it's a rapidly closing loophole. I mean, all they have to do is go look at my Amazon account. I'll bet you 85% of the stuff we bought that wasn't groceries. It's from something like Amazon or Walmart or one of the big stores. Um, where it really caught my imagination with fintech and technology in the positive, we could have another conversation another day on the risks of crypto and what does that look like and surveillance and all that other stuff. But the positive was this idea of generative AI, which is the way that I understood it, correct me if you guys understand it differently, is that as I'm interacting with my application, in, in this case in, with a bank or some service in the fintech world, that actionable intelligence is almost like a, I'm going to go way back in the way back time machine and ask Jeeves. So he's right there with me or um, Gervais, she's right there with me or whoever. And, and they're able to, in my real-time experience, adapt and help me accomplish what it is that I want to accomplish. And the tool is like having that personal assistant, you know, the, 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 the uh, intelligence and the action is built into it modestly, I'm sure to begin with, but over time that we're going to, we're going to have, I think the, the hope is the promise is that you're going to have this experience as you move in. Um, it's like you, you have your personal finance manager to some degree that's maybe overstating it, but able to adapt in real time as you're moving through, not a analytics that you get later. Hey, you know, I get that from Amex or whatever, based upon your spending, you could do these things and here's where you put money this year and whatever. And oh, by the way, load that up and bring it to your financial advisor. Like I, I see real, real, it really caught my imagination that these tools could be there to help us, um, move through whatever it is that we're doing, whether it's, um, uh, uh, you know, just making deposits you were talking about earlier, Phil, with your checks or whatever, or I'm, I'm looking at my 401k because I'm responding to market trends that are going on around me or whatever, like all of this rolled up and I've got these tools that are built in that developers are out there making um, systems to help us based upon whatever our profile and risk tolerance is uh, so that as I'm moving through it, not just I ask it, but it's suggesting stuff. Hey, Dave, I see you're doing this and you usually log in at this time to do these things. Might I suggest we do these things or take this shortcut or whatever? That's where it seems like this tool or this idea could really benefit us. I'm really curious about that. Well, part of it is happening already uh, with some of the fintechs that they're able to help based on what your you know, financial uh, bases are um, 
deposits, investments, whatever the case might be. I mean, there are tools uh, that are available out there that do some of that prediction and generative uh, communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 going to be enhanced, but again, at the end of the day, you know, the way I look at it is still humanly programmed. So it's it, there. There's that human element to it, and uh, as as great it is or it will be. I'm still of the old school, and I think uh, for organizations that go for a base of the personal touch and the personal personal interaction, human intelligence is going to be more important than the generative AI. We coined a phrase: an old cool, an old school futurist. <laughs> you know what? I was I was coining a phrase in my mind. I can see it actually happening, which was WWPD. Nabil's like, what would Phil do here? So I'm gonna, right. I'm gonna reach out to Phil. I feel like I should do this with my money or right. whatever. I, what do you think? I, I am the AI algorithm. I'm like, uh, uh, yeah, you know, exactly. Max, uh, Max Headroom. I'm just, I just live in this little box. Yeah, yeah. What would Phil do? There you go. Uh, what would Phil do? Um, he would trust probably, but verify. He'd probably, he'd probably screw it up. That's, he would uh, trust and, but verify. Um, hey, look. Before we, uh, I, w- I want to make sure because we got to. Um, some important life things to talk about here in just a minute. And I know we've only got about 15 or 20 minutes, but before we do that, I just quickly would love to get your feedback. And maybe this is something we could tease out in depth another time. I'm in the data center business and um, I have heard over and over and over for at least four years, maybe longer that, um, the enterprise data center, maybe we need to define that, but the enterprise data center is is going away and that all enterprise application and movement is going to move into the cloud, which I don't know if you would agree with me, but I define as somebody else's computer in their building. So um, do you still hear that? Do you, If you do, do you agree with it? Or do you think it's more nuanced than that? Because uh, I can tell you from our business. Now, we may not be the target of this. We may not be enterprise in the way that they're thinking of enterprise. But man, we we don't see that happening. Not only that, I see a lot of uh, what I would consider enterprise business. So think Fortune 1000, that's not one of the largest e-commerce, cloud, social media, but a Fortune 1000 organization, we still see them in many cases um, without going too far into the weeds, doing sale leaseback and doing other things in some circumstances because they have a, a niche, they have a specialty thing that just doesn't work well either in a mega data center like mine or in the cloud. Both, all those markets I think are important. What, what's your experience? Do you, do you still hear that? And if you do, do you agree that that's ultimately what's going to happen and it's going to happen sooner rather than later? Or you... Or it's much ado about nothing. Um, I think, like anything else, it's 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 nuanced, right? So, I think the definition of an enterprise data center is different to, to different people. I think, from the standpoint of, you know, it, are are companies still putting small like computer rooms, data centers within their office environment, um, or building out data centers for themselves? I would say that that is that is likely going away, which 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 is what you know has led to the existence of, you know, mega data centers like, like, like your guys, you know, data centers right. in various markets where, you know, people have had offices that can benefit from the economies of scale of being in a data center. Right. Um, and then, of course, there's, you know, the, 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 the hyperscale market, which is where, you know, the cloud lives, um, which is still in a data center somewhere. And that's why, you know, it's difficult for people to sometimes bifurcate, you know, the definition of the data center market, because, 
you know, there's retail, there's wholesale, there's hyperscale, there's there's different things um, that that get complicated. But I think to the extent of it, the if the definition of the enterprise data center is a data center within someone's office, I think that has that that is largely going away or has gone away because it's just difficult to 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 build with any significant amount of reliability, and we've become so um, reliant upon technology mm-hmm. that you need to have. Uh, a significant element of resilience, despite whether you need your own computer, your own server living in in a room, or you're going to go and rely on on a cloud platform. And that's before you even get into, you know, the cost efficiencies of whether running particular applications in the cloud makes sense or running them, you know, uh, in house on 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 bare metal, whether it's your own or or or, or someone else's. Um, but yeah, words, words, words. Nabil, do you agree? Um, I'll, I'll echo it just to, you know, a degree. Uh, okay. I think there is um, a use case uh, whereby the Fortune 1000 are still potentially going to operate their own data centers. They will move some of the content into the likes of Colo Wholesale or Cloud Services, dependent on what the application or the situation is. Mm-hmm. As it entails the enterprise data center for the smaller organizations, yes, I mean, that's going to be going into the cloud uh, or into into a colo. Um, I, I, I feel that there's a lot more marketing hype that is all going away, uh, which we have a culture of in our industry or just in general. Uh, we, we, we create the, the false marketing and, and uh, uh, that's probably a part of it. But uh, if you look at computing just in general, every 10 years we go centralized and we come back decentralized. So that, 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 that's just going to happen um, as, as it becomes... Uh, expensive to be in the cloud when people start figuring out uh, that they've got all the the instances running that they, that shouldn't be running. They're gonna bring all the data back into their own space. Mm-hmm. So uh, there there is going to be a, a a shift back eventually at some point in time when the cost of computing uh, ends up being uh, a significant dollar amount on someone's PL. Mm-hmm. There's more to be said on the topic, but uh, in the interest of time, I want to dive into. Um, uh, two things. One, you guys have a pretty amazing foundation that I want to make sure that we uh, take a few minutes for you to explain. And also, Nabil, you've had this unique um, health uh, journey. I think it's the uh, the most understated way that I could say it. And 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 it's led to this idea that we say all the time as human beings, we say it, or we at least we should, which is live for today. You only have the breath that's promised to you. And um, I, I think by way of public service reminder, can you give us a, a few minutes just sort of when you th- say that, why do you think that? And um, uh, anyway, let's just start there. Uh, it's It's been scary. Um, and even though I think and tell myself every day that I've got it under control, I don't. Um, I'm, I'm very sad to share that we've lost one of our dear friends, uh, Scott Ball. Uh, recently, uh, again, you know, life and stress does that to 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 us. Uh, as as a, a young man growing up and getting into the space, I thought I was fit. Uh, I did not have any health issues, uh, but here I am. In seven years, I've got three heart attacks and uh, basically flatlined a couple of times. And Phil was uh, there to experience one of them. It has certainly been life changing, and a part of uh, our journey is to share that message to create that life and work balance uh, to stay calm through 
uh, all this fluff news uh, that, uh, or, or, or these uh, calls of uh, wolf all the time uh, and create some sort of a sanity. And uh, as it entails the foundation itself, uh, the idea really is to be able to give back uh, past the, the tribal knowledge that we have gained over the last you know, 20, 24 years of my career and uh, people in the industry that uh, uh, have developed this industry to share their skill sets, their knowledge base to the younger generation and pass that to, to them, to the leaders of tomorrow. That's really our core mission. And also unify the industry. I think the, the biggest challenge that we have is that uh, we are all working so hard and we are all working in our lanes. Uh, they might be running parallel, but we are not unified. Um, you know, perfect example about what someone's understanding of the enterprise data center is. You know, wouldn't it be nice to actually everybody say that the definition of ent enterprise data center is the same? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be nice to actually have a unified metric uh, to measure performance in the data center mm -hmm. uh, or the utilization metrics of a data center? So a part of the vision is to to bridge that gap and unify the industry in some capacity so we can leave this uh, better than than we found it. Yeah, look, I think the um, when when we started uh, the foundation, the the ultimate mission was um, to try to find a pathway um, to get the younger generation to to know about our industry, not just when Facebook goes down or TikTok's not available or Minecraft doesn't work or Roblox doesn't work or any of the things, because they ultimately uh, my children knew how technology worked before they knew how to speak. Right. Um, so just the, the, the notion I would that, expect nothing less. Right. Of with course. Some of course. Kids. Yeah. Um, right. Um, and and, um, you know, generally speaking, they, they are not given the tools to be able to determine not just how the technology works, but why it works. And and that, you know, critical thinking ability, since we are all now essentially building data centers within our homes. Um, and and so reliant upon technology in everything that we do, personally, professionally, um, uh, scholastically, you know, w with respect to health, um, that it's incumbent upon us to try to 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 help bestow this knowledge that we got only because we happen to be the generation, probably the last one that straddled the before digital times and and now. So the wonderment of the internet was something that we got to experience in real time in a way that I think the current generation, certainly kids born today, um, take for granted and, and don't necessarily recognize how fragile that infrastructure is. And beyond that, self-serving from an industry perspective, you know, we're not, we're not giving ourselves access to the future leaders by not giving them the knowledge that our industry exists until, I don't want to say until it's too late, but until it's later in their journey when they don't necessarily have, you know, the time to, to, to try to get in the weeds and, and, and create this kind of matter of fact basis for the underlying plumbing of how the Internet works that we know just because we had no choice but, but to learn it through experience. And experiential learning is the best learning. That's what Montessori says. That's what all of the, you know, modern uh, school mechanisms provide. And you know, the current schooling, and I'm not talking about college, you know, we're talking about, you know, K through 12 education, right. the younger, the better, uh, because they have the, the zest for learning, they're sponges for knowledge. And if we as an industry provided them a pathway to give them the experience of 
again, you use Minecraft on a daily basis, son or daughter. Mm -hmm. um, wouldn't it be interesting to you to know like what happens in your phone? Where do those bits go? Let's take a tour of this you know, data center, which is where the, this environment lives. Um, and it just will prepare them for, you know, what is inevitably, you know, the, 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 the future industry with like countless sub verticals. So wherever their interest lies, you know, they can, they can, they can move. Yeah. We have that conversation regularly about, I, I don't care if you're an artist or you are a community, um, development leader, or you're in legal, or you don't have to be an electrician. You don't have to be a, a, a cooling expert. You could be in product development, mechanical engineering. You could be in the humanities and the arts. I, the way I think about it, uh, I'm sure this has been influenced through many years of conversations, is you're not a modern society without, used to be just electricity, but now electricity and connectivity. Um, you, you're not fully engaged with the global uh, experience if you don't have, for good or ill, if you don't have those two things. And so, um, and then I would also say that the ideas of the whole world live in a data center to one degree or the other, that, that great concert, even the one that you went to, you probably had your phone out and something got recorded and it got saved somewhere and that's in the cloud or your cat video or your, your, uh, Roblox run through or whatever it is, it somewhere lives in somebody's, um, data center. So this is the infrastructure of the world. And, and it should be given um, due consideration to see if you can bring your talent into you want something that is resistant to global recession and whatever be part of an industry that is just growing more and more and more. And it's because human beings have an insatiable appetite. I remember 30 years ago, when I got my first, I want to say it was a 19 inch monitor. And it I'm telling you, it weighed as much as a Ford Fiesta. And it, my, my, my table bowed in. And when you turn that thing on, the lights in my house dimmed and three houses. Not very environmentally friendly, but like that was ridiculous. When I got my first plasma TV and it was 1080p and I just thought it just does not get better than this. And now I'm like 8K, I don't know. I want 8K on the plane. You know, I want I want right. fully immersive uh, <laughs> 5D uh, experience. You know, the the Oculus glasses aren't enough. Like we we are insatiable. The more we use, the more we want. The more we want, the more we make. The more we make, the more we use. It's just this thing. If you want to change diversity and inclusion, well, come and join the conversation so that instead of just uh, you know. Our nature as human beings, I think, is we go look for the same places for the same talent instead of maybe different places no and different yeah. ethnicities and different ages and different genders. And and then when you have this melding pot of people, when it goes right anyway, you're not just influencing each other in your solutions on how do we prevent fake alerts? How do we, how do we code through these things? But it's, oh, look, that person, while they may vote differently or think differently, they're not evil and, and how do we interact with each other in such a way? And this comes kind of, for me, comes full circle back to, uh, Nabil, you, when you were talking about, and I think greatly understated some of your health things, um, Phil was there at the last one. But just another way to th for me to think about that is this community that you've built. You've got, a, you've got a community of friends in the industry and outside of the industry. But how do we accomplish things the best, I think, human beings, when we're in community together, when we're not afraid to have the conversations, when we're trying to figure it out, hey, that's a great idea, but how do we pay for it? 
hey, that's that's a you know in any of these hard uh, topics, we can't solve anything that we can't talk about, and so we do that in community, and so do the foundation does that, and um, you know we just see human beings flourish the most when 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 not only we're in that, but we help to promote it and um, and attract people to it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, the only way we can do it is be by being vulnerable and sharing our story and journey and the trials and tribulations and what's making us better. Yeah. Um, we've, we've got to pass it on to the next generation. I mean, the way I, I look at it is that I've got both of my legs in the grave. The only thing that I have is uh, the ability to share what I've learned and passing on the baton to 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 my kids and others uh, to hopefully make this world a better place. I mean, it's 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 a it's a big task, but it's the little things that could potentially make a big difference. Uh, I agree, Phil. If both of his legs are in the grave, your canopy looks pretty good there because you're. Yeah, I like, it's, it's, I like uh, you know that's a, he's, he must be he must be like uh, about thirteen feet tall because both yeah, of his legs are in the grave. Say, he's still he's still six four. He's still. I, th- I think he's still <laughs> insulted it. Look, both feet are in the grave, and I'm still crushing this. Not right. unlike you two, Ima- imagine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we it's, just got uh, slapped. Uh, but I think the um, I think it's all a matter of you know what what the gigi economy um, kind of taught us is that people are their own commodity. It's not like a specific amount of knowledge that you have or a specific skill set that you have. Of course, that that right. that is meaningful. But it's it's you and the perspective that you bring and the experience that you've had no matter where you've grown up that you can bring into an industry that is shaping the future of how, you know, we interact with each other. Right. Well, where can we find more about the foundation? You can check it out on uh, line at nomadfutures.org or nomadfutures.com is our social platform. And all of our social handles are nomad futurist. Okay. We'll make sure we include links to those uh, down below. Gentlemen, thanks for coming very much on the show. Uh, Nabil, I think I'm going to see you in a few weeks. Phil, are you going to be at this West Coast thing, or are you going to be slumming it out uh, east too far to go? Uh, I will probably be slumming it out east. Uh, I will be in Dallas. I'll be, be in Dallas on December 1st if anybody's interested. But, um, yeah, I can't make it all the way to San Jose. All right, perfect. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on the show. And... Uh, Hopefully, all audio will be complete and correct this time. I, I, I dare again. you to screw this one up, Dan. It's not going to happen if I have to voice over everybody. It's going to get into the can, and we'll publish it shortly. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks, Thank you for having us. All right. Have a good one. And hey, if you've enjoyed the show, please like, share, subscribe, and comment. We'll see you next time on the QTS Experience. Take care, everybody.